we are announcing the following immediate actions. First, we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. These changes cover all forms of transactions, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrencies. The illegal blockades have highlighted the fact that crowdfunding platforms and some of the payment service providers they use are not fully captured under the Proceeds of Crime and Terrorist Financing Act. Our banks and financial institutions are already obligated to report to the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Centre of Canada, or FinTrack. As of today, all crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use must register with FinTrack and they must report large and suspicious transactions to FinTrack. Their relationships with anyone involved in the illegal blockades and report to the RCMP or CSIS. As of today, a bank or other financial service provider will be able to immediately freeze or suspend an account without a court order. In doing so, they will be protected against civil liability for actions taken in good faith. Federal government institutions will have a new broad authority to share relevant information with banks and other financial service providers to ensure this is about following the money. This is about stopping the financing of these illegal blockades. We are today serving notice. If your truck is being used in these illegal blockades, your corporate accounts will be frozen. The insurance on your vehicle will be suspended. Send your semi-trailers home. The Canadian economy needs them to be doing legitimate work, not to be illegally making us all poorer. Happy Bitcoin Tuesday, freaks. It's your boy Odell here for Citadel Dispatch 56. Citadel Dispatch is an interactive live show about Bitcoin, distributed systems, privacy, and open source software. Want to do a huge shout out to the freaks who continue to support the show, keeping it free of ads and sponsors. Dispatch is 100% audience funded, purely focused on actual Bitcoin discussion. If you want to support the show, you can do so at citadeldispatch.com through either on-chain Bitcoin or Lightning. Um, I also have a pay name, which is easy to remember. It's Odell. Uh, if you're using Samurai or Sparrow Wallet, you can support me that way. Another way to support the show 
is through podcasting 2.0 apps. I like Fountain Podcast. I like Breeze Wallet. Um, both of them are very easy to use. Um, you install it on your phone. You search it on Dispatch. You press the subscribe button. You load it up with sats. Then you basically choose how many sats per minute you think Dispatch is worth to you. And as you listen, uh, it streams those sats directly to my node. Dispatch is broadcast on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, and BitcoinTV.com. All links are at SiddleDispatch.com. It's also available in any podcasting app. Uh, you just search Siddle Dispatch. Um, so with all that said, um, obviously the intro there was some really dark times coming out of Canada. Uh, they're using financial surveillance and financial control to attack their political enemies, um, including going after Bitcoiners because of the Bitcoin crowdfunding attempts that are being done. Um, it's a developing situation. Really hate to see it. Uh, free countries should be supporting monetary choice and monetary freedom. Um, they shouldn't be doing authoritarian dictator style shit. Anyway, with all that said, hopefully we're going to have a lighter, more enjoyable conversation. I have some two great guests uh, joining us today. Um, oh, before I get there, as always, if you want to participate in the live discussion as we are uh, doing our dispatches, the live audience is a key aspect of this show, uh, makes it very unique. In a lot of ways, I feel like the live audience is a host alongside me and you guys do make it special. Um, we have a matrix chat, uh, which you can find the link to that at citadeldispatch.com. If you just click Citadel chat, very easy to install. Uh, my favorite client is Element. It'll pass you through the instructions. You install Element, then you re-click the link and you jump into the chat. And that chat is is been popping lately. We have over 700 Bitcoiners in there, even when we're not doing dispatch. Uh, there's really, really great productive Bitcoin conversation happening in there. Um, okay, so with all that said, I got two great guests here. We have a return guest. We have Keith Mukai. Keith, how's it going? Hey, happy to be here. Awesome. And uh, thanks for joining, as, as always. Um, and we have Maritz. Maritz, how's it going? Uh, really good. Thank you for, for having me and, and Keith here. So uh, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I mean, our main conversation is going to be Spectre Wallet, which is one of my favorite Bitcoin wallets. Uh, it's incorporated in the guides that you can find at SillDispatch.com. Um, I've had some of your team on before, uh, but I've never had you on. So I'm very excited to have a proper discussion with you on air as well. Um, the focus today will be using your own Bitcoin node, uh, using Spectre Wallet, trade-offs to KYC, we have a lot of different topics we're going to cover. Um, but before we do that, let's just start with high level. How, how do you explain what Spectre Wallet is? What is Spectre Wallet? Why should people care? Why should people consider using it? Um, the, the, the key feature of Spectre is that it really connects your hardware wallets to your um, um, Bitcoin core node. And um, this is basically... Um, the key feature it makes it really easy to to use your node and not just to run it and, and but really use it for for verification so it's back to we think sort of in three levels about this so uh, we think about uh, your node and your verification you should run your own node we had um, uh, early 2021 we had discussions if we should um, add uh, electrum support or connect um, to allow to connect to electrum 
uh, servers and we we decided against this we are sort of node maximalists here and really believe it's 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 way easier to to run a bitcoin core node than many people think um second is that we uh want to encourage by default to the user to not only run his node, but also use his own wallet infrastructure, which is part of the Bitcoin core node. And it's very powerful, especially with HWI and, uh, and PSPT, you can really make great use of the wallet infrastructure. And this is a point maybe we can touch on later. Um, people shouldn't use the back ends of uh, hardware wallet uh, manufacturers such as Ledger and Trezor, in my opinion, because um, addresses and XPUBs are sent to these infrastructures. And um, if somebody has your XPUB, he knows all about your payment history and also future payments. So this is uh, this is not good. And finally, the third point is uh, not your keys, um, uh, not your not your Bitcoin. So it's about node verification. It's about wallet, your wallet infrastructure. So it's privacy, and then. Um, your keys, your coins, basically. And of course, we want to be as work with the standards, be as interoperable as possible. So if a user doesn't like Spectre anymore, he wants to go over to Sparrow. If somebody doesn't like Sparrow anymore, he can go over to Spectre or to Blue Wallet. So we need to offer this interoperability and uh, avoid as much as possible to lock in any any Bitcoiners in their, in, in, in their in, in wallet specifications or something like this. Yes, awesome. so... That's, I mean, I think that was a great bad. explanation. I mean, for, for starters, uh, to the freaks that might be maybe a tiny bit confused, I don't think you are, but just in case, um, Spectre is a piece of software that you can install on your desktop. Uh, you can install it on Linux, Mac, Windows. Um, you install Bitcoin Core alongside it. Um, so Bitcoin Core is the reference client for Bitcoin. It, it is your own node. Um, and it's a wallet. Uh, if when you interact with the Bitcoin network, um, you are going to need to use a node to interact with the Bitcoin network. If you're not using your own node, you're using someone else's node and you're trusting them with privacy and verifying the rules of the network. Um, that is what Marit's uh, uh, insinuate, not insinuated, but alluded to when he was talking about the software that comes with your hardware wallets. If you're using uh, like Ledger Live or Trezor Web Suite, uh, the default software that comes with those wallets, um, they will use Ledger's node or Trezor's node. Um, so Spectre allows you to interact with pretty much every hardware wallet uh, that is available. And you can interact easily and directly with your own Bitcoin Core node. Uh, you can do multi-sig, you can do single sig. It's just a very easy UX um, for basically interacting directly with your node. Exactly. Um, and now I guess, uh, and one of the cool things you added was, uh, and I guess this was probably a little bit before I started using Spectre, so I never actually tried out this feature, is Bitcoin Core is like, can't they just install Spectre Wallet now and then it can automatically download Bitcoin Core as part of that process? Isn't there some kind of integration there? Yes, so you can do download Spectre Desktop and you have uh, the possibility to... Um, run Bitcoin Core uh, in your Spectre desktop, uh, which is a great feature for people who want to have it packaged. I'm a little bit old school. I, I have to confess, I still have my Bitcoin Core software running next to my Spectre software because I really like to see 
Um, sometimes right. I want to go back into the real Bitcoin core software and see the transactions and everything, the labeling, which uh, the Spectre desktop is doing on the Bitcoin core side. So right. through, through the communication, through the RPC calls and everything. So I really like this this double feature there, this double but from, sort of. from an ease of use point of view, they can just go download Spectre Wallet and then like in that startup guide, it that like startup user flow, it, it basically instructs you to then install core. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. So when we first came out, we, we had it separately, then we packaged it. And uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of people also like on the bigger page is like a lot of people think, oh, running a node is very complicated and I need a Raspberry Blitz and, and uh, or get Umbral and I need all this hardware. It's like, it's not. If you have an old MacBook or an old laptop lying around, which is not like completely slow and completely broken, you can basically use this as, as your um, uh, node hardware to say so. And you can install your um, Bitcoin Core node. You can sync it yourself. We have also a website up, which is called today, or prunednode.today, which is maintained by our CTO, Stepan Snigirev. And you can download a five gigabyte prune node. And you can put this on your laptop and, and run it and then put the spec on it. And you have a dedicated laptop and for for running this you don't have to buy any new hardware there and most people have a have an old laptop lying around i guess so i mean yeah i i would say that uh if if you want to use lightning then it gets a little bit more complicated because you need to have something that's always on but if we're talking about on-chain bitcoin we're talking about cold storage we're talking about your savings wallets um, mm -hmm. the, you know, the cool thing is, is you can literally just turn it off and turn it on, on demand. You only really need to have uh, specter and core running when you're actually interacting with your wallets. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So this is a point where I also would like to ask you, what, what do you, how do you see this? When I look at get umbral and all these lightning nodes and I, I feel for uh, people have the private keys on there uh, for the lightning stuff, but it for me. It feels more, this is still a playground uh, when you see get Umbral or Raspberry Blitz. And I, it's not something where I want to run my Bitcoin core and, and cold storage infrastructure on. So is there a difference between the cold storage infrastructure and sort of the hacky, interesting lightning, new tools infrastructure for you? Or, or Well, I mean, I think, I think for lightning, the, the node implementations make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, like these little node boxes, uh, because once again, you want to run it 24 or seven, um, and you want mm -hmm. it to be low power consuming. Uh, obviously they are a hot wallet in terms of lightning. So there's some security risks there, but, uh, that's more on lightning than the actual node implementations. Uh, hopefully there's, you know, some kind of advancements in terms of having some keys cold and figuring out how to do that. But in practice, I mean, you're constantly having to change state. You need hotkeys. Uh, the other use case I would say is for people that are using CoinJoin. I mean, if you're using the Whirlpool implementation, uh, you get free remixing, but only when you're online. So you want that to be on 24-7 as well. So it's through these things that are like 24-7. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, I know in my personal setup, and I don't like talking about my personal setup too much, but I'll give the freaks a little bit is, you know, I use a separate Bitcoin core instance for my cold storage than I do for uh, Lightning. 
Um, mm -hmm. And that's just because in general, if you uh, separate things, uh, you reduce your attack surface and you're going to be in a better you're going to be in a better situation from a privacy and security perspective. Um, I don't know if that's absolutely necessary. Uh, I guess with the way Spectre is set up is kind of makes sense because so you alluded to it earlier. Spectre actually isn't it's more of a UX for Bitcoin Core. Like the keys mm -hmm. are actually like you can see it too. Like if you open Bitcoin Core when you're using Spectre, it's they everything shows up in Bitcoin Core as if you were using Bitcoin Core as a wallet by itself. So presumably, and I haven't done this, but my assumption would be if you were using so Spectre is cool that it gives you options, right? So you, we already talked about the easiest option, which I like the most, which is you're running basically a dedicated computer with Spectre and Bitcoin Core on it. Um, but you can also connect to a remote Bitcoin Core. Uh, and if you do that, then you're, there's a private, there's privacy risk because, because all the, all that UTXO information is on your 24 seven node, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so these are just trade-offs that people should consider and, and, based on their threat model. But I would say that if, if your primary goal is, you know, strong savings, cold storage, um, it's really unnecessary to be running one of these 24 seven boxes. And it's just extremely, it's way more user-friendly and accessible than people realize just installing Spectre and following the prompts to have Bitcoin Core run alongside it. It's also like a, like, I think it's important if you're a Bitcoiner and coming in and you read the Bitcoin standard and you're listening to all the great podcasts and all the economics and all the macro and, and whatever and excited about the software, I think it's it's quite important that at some point you have to put away the, the Twitter on your phone and switch off the, like you, all the noise and just um, really go and, and run the node and, and, and get your hands a little bit dirty and try to get a little bit more familiar with all the technical stuff that is happening if you're not coming from the developer side anyways and from the technical 100 percent. so, so yeah. I, I see a lot of that that people get completely tied up in all this uh twitter noise and all this uh, which is very exciting i mean there are like so many blogs and articles and podcasts every day like i can't keep up with the space but um i think there's an important thing that you have to pause sometimes and and really try to get your hands on the stuff. Yeah, you got to also... jump in and get your hands dirty. That's the best way to learn. Yeah. And then when you go into uh, like running your own node with Spectre and maybe you want not only use it for single SIG, it's very easy and good to use it with a single SIG wallet, but you we actually build it for uh, multi-SIG cold storage. So and if you want to um, have a setup like this, and um, because you want to protect a larger amount of your savings in, in Bitcoin, then I recommend like really get familiar with the software, have a single six setup first, put a small amount, test all the transactions, um, do the recovery drills, and especially if you're moving to multi-six. So if I'm when I move to multi-six. Uh, like uh, one and a half years ago, it's really important that you uh, put the keys up in a, in, a, in a good way, that you have a plan, that you you know what you do and, and you ease in. It's not like, oh, tomorrow I'm going to take my multi-sig and I expect it to be done in two hours. No, no, no. This is like a, a thing where you have to really ease in over, over time, in my opinion. Yeah, take it slow, um, practice everything, 
you know, restore, you want to practice the backup restore procedure. You want to pretend like you're in a situation where like devices are broken. Um, you want to get really comfortable with it because when you're in an actual situation where you're trying to recover the funds, it doesn't, you don't want that to be the first time you're doing it. Um, you're going to scare the shit out of yourself. Uh, you're going to panic and maybe you screw things up. So you want to take it slow, but at, at the same time, don't be scared about it. It's, it's not as overwhelming as, as one might think. Right. Exactly. Um, so Keith, you have anything to add here? Yeah. So let me just jump in the, the node in a box, uh, like, you know, the umbrals are both blessing and curse, right? They make it so easy. You can one click install Spectre, but when you want to do something a little more complicated, it makes life complicated. Um, so if you want to run Spectre outside of your umbral node, but you figure, hey, I'm running a full node on Umbral, so I'll just connect my my other Spectre laptop to my Umbral node, which you can do, but Umbral only exposes the node over Tor. So now on your local network, you have one machine navigating Tor just to get to your local network node on Umbral. And you know somebody mentioned in the comments that um, you know, Black Coffee said, uh, I liked, I really like Spectre Desktop, but it got really laggy on multiple computers. Um, and it depends on your setup, but something like, you know, this is, it's kind of unexpected, you know, because in, in your mind, it's really natural to just think, I'm running a node, I'm running Spectre, connect the two, magic happens, it's great. Um, but it's just kind of absurd to go through the Tor step when you're all on your own local network. And so, the point where you want to be more like Moritz and pull your Spectre off of Umbral, uh, you know, because maybe you just don't have the same level of trust on in, in Umbral or in that environment, uh, then you really should just be running a second node um, just to make the communication quick. Whether whether it's on the same laptop or a, a, a node running in your local network, but just you can't connect to it over Tor. It's just it's going to make the experience terrible. Um, and there are, there are places. Inspector, where we definitely need to look at the time it takes to do these RPC calls um, when you're talking from Spectre to your node and try to make the experience better, maybe cache more in memory if we can. Um, but at the end of the day, we directly interface with core. And if you're connecting over a slow connection, it's just going to be a, a miserable experience. Right. And like the complete counterpoint is. Um having core and Spectre on the same machine is, is the exact opposite, right? There's, um, there's, there's yeah, no external communication that happen has to happen, period. Right. It's going to be as fast as that RPC connection and your, you know, computer, uh, laptop CPU is going to allow. Um, and then someone Lance Hoddle also said, so what you're telling me is since I run a node anyway, I should delete ledger live and use Spectre. Or anything you can use Sparrow, you can use Spectre. Um, you know, I, I don't know Lance Hoddle, and I don't know your level of technical experience, but I can speak for myself. Like it took me a long time to understand that my Bitcoin wasn't stuck in Ledger Live, and that it wasn't stuck even on the Ledger device itself. Um, it was a revelation when I started using Spectre, and I could import the XPubs from my Ledger 
and see all my balances. I'm like, oh my God, it's here. <laughs> you know, and like, I was such a noob. I'm like, how did it copy over? <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, there's, that's the beauty of, of Bitcoin. All your value is sitting on, you know, the, the, the blockchain that everyone has a copy of. So yeah, get rid of the, the corporate spyware and just run your own node, connect your keys to it in, in basically watch only mode. And everything is already there. I would I would add that I mean you shouldn't uh, I think Bitcoin will I think most people that fuck around with shit coins uh, would have been better off just being humble and stacking uh, sats. But uh, if you are if you are fucking around with shit coins, that's probably the main reason to use Ledger Live. Uh, but if you're not and you are Bitcoin only, you should you should switch. Yes, and you should use your own node. Um, and like we said earlier, it is way easier than you would expect. Yeah, so uh, talking about shitcoins on on Ledger or on Trezor, it's like I have a theory. Uh, it's like a maybe like a outlook or conspiracy th theory. So I would say that these um, the regulators, if they start moving forward against all these uh, um, against Bitcoin and crypto and trying to tie things down, as we see in Canada happening, or also in the European Union. Is I think they will begin to approach Ledger and Trezor and tell them, okay, guys, you don't have the private keys, but you are actually operating a wallet and node infrastructure, and you're preparing transactions and you're broadcasting transactions. What you're actually doing, you're a payment provider, and you're giving out these hardware tokens to um, to uh, your users, and you don't KYC on AML them. So, and. So what I would say is like they will receive a lot of pressure, Ledger and Trezor and others, to actually KYC AML the whole infrastructure. So if you're signing up there or you're, 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 you're using this, they will ask for KYC AML um, and they will, I think, well, directly report it. I, so, you know, I mean, I tend to think that that's kind of where we're heading, especially when you see, um, you know, the clip that I played in the beginning from... Mm -hmm. uh, the Canadian government, but uh, the, one of the good things here to keep in mind is uh, because we have Spectre, because we have Sparrow, because we have Electrum and Blue Wallet, um, or maybe less so Blue Wallet because Blue Wallet uses their own Electrum server, but uh, by default, uh, you, you have the option to move at that point. Uh, you always have the option to, to move from, you know, Ledger Live or Trezor Web Suite. We have... Um, uh, Yochi Gama in, in the comments asking, how do we import UTXOs from Ledger? Very, very simple. You basically install Spectre Wallet, you follow the prompts to install Bitcoin Core, and then you you uh, you click like add wallet and you follow the prompts on Ledger and you plug in your Ledger, you put in your pin and like gives you this very clean UX that tells you how to connect to it. Um, same with Trezor, same with Seed Signer, same with Cold Card. Same with all of the hardware wallets. You just, once you install Spectre, you just basically follow the prompts inside Spectre uh, to integrate whatever wallet setup you have, whether that's multi-sig or single-sig. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, one more on. point here is like, I think this will be very good for Bitcoin because if you use Ledger and Trezor and you have like your, I don't know, 20... 20 token or cryptocurrency portfolio there or your shitcoin portfolio is like not a lot of people will actually 
start running, I don't know, 10 different nodes for 10 different uh, cryptocurrency networks. I think uh, if this pressure comes on, a lot of people will just run to Bitcoin and convert all their shit coins into Bitcoin. And because it doesn't like you, you cannot as a, as a home user, when you don't want to use Ledger or, or Trezor, it doesn't make any sense to, to, to run all these nodes. Like most people won't do it. So what the, what a lot of people will do is like I think go towards Bitcoin. So this kind of pressure, this attack on 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 the crypto space to say so in general, is actually good for Bitcoin and and will uh, weed out like all these these shitcoin uh, projects. Yeah, I mean I think uh, when we, when we look at at these types of situations, they could be bad for Bitcoiners, like individual Bitcoiners. Mm -hmm. But in general, if you look at the actual ecosystem, usually. Uh, you know, Bitcoin has been referred to as an anti-fragile uh, protocol. And, and basically the idea is that as as it gets attacked, as these weak points get hit, um, the whole system becomes more robust in response to it. And because it is free and open source software uh, that anyone can run, um, you don't have central centralized actors there that you can that you can push on. It's almost like a virus. Uh, the code is out there. Um, good luck stopping its distribution. And improve. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, we were talking about shitcoins, uh, so we can just jump right into it. Uh, Spectre does offer support for one of the shitcoins, and that's uh, Liquid Bitcoin. Um, what what, what, are you, what were your thoughts <laughs> with adding Liquid? How do you view uh, that integration? I mean, I, I think uh, there. I mean, there aren't many Liquid wallets, so it's a very yeah. it's a very key aspect of of what Spectre's offering. Um, so around um, December 2021 and early 2022, we were um, looking at what to do next at Spectre and uh, we're looking at doing Lightning or doing some collaborative custody solution, but then started a conversation with the Blockstream team and, and Samson and um, wrapped our head around Liquid. So um, like the nice thing about Liquid is that it doesn't, uh, create uh, it, it does create a, a, a new token, but it's liquid Bitcoin, so it locks in a real uh, Bitcoin and uses Bitcoin um, locked in Bitcoin as the native token, and um, so and does does move around these liquid Bitcoin with confidential transactions, which basically in the confidential transaction you cannot see if liquid Bitcoin was moved or if uh, a stable coin was moved or uh, some kind of other token was moved, equity token or debt token, a Blockstream mining node. So you cannot see what was moved and how much was moved, but you just see the transaction there, that there's a transaction happening. So we thought that um, the liquid model fits better, the, the, the Spectre model, because it's also uh, like, uh, it doesn't have to be always on, it doesn't have to be always connected like in Lightning. So it fits, fits the, the Spectre approach better. And um, we see something that is an interesting tool for Bitcoiners and uh, for the, the Bitcoin ecosystem as a whole. And if something is underdeveloped, then yeah, we like to we like to touch it and uh, and, and and work on it, because we also see a lot of at back at the time already we saw a lot of um, projects in Lightning and we're seeing a lot of things happening in Lightning. So we thought like okay, Liquid may be an interesting niche for us and. It was a bit. Uh, it was tough to integrate. It wasn't easy. We we we, we were working hard with this. Uh, got great support by the Blockstream team, 
and then we launched around October. And um, Liquid is not very popular with uh, um, with with Bitcoiners. We see this, and um, but I think there's certain aspects around the confidential transactions about around the stable coins. Like if you want to touch on stable coins, there is a clear use case where people use it, people want it. And um, it's all happening on all this economic activity around these uh, um, uh, stable coins is happening mostly on Ethereum and Tron. So as a Bitcoiner, I don't want to see this happening on these uh, shitcoin networks, basically. I want to see this happening on a side on a, on a, on a Bitcoin native sidechain, um, which is clearly federated by a group of companies and organizations. But at, at least it's 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 Bitcoin native, and it's 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 looking uh, to be as close to to the Bitcoin infrastructure as possible, and so integrated as possible. So this was yeah, our I mean, I was... thinking there. I was mostly teasing you with the shitcoin comment. Uh, thank you for. Uh, I was teasing. Like, I, I don't know, but I think in 2019 back we had a meeting there in uh, during the conference in San Francisco with um, Adam Beck, and we were. I was teasing him that he's building a clown coin factory. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, especially since it's it's so so you can transfer this liquid Bitcoin, uh, which is is pegged to Bitcoin one to one. Uh, the trust model is similar to w what you would expect, like a multi-sig kind of mm -hmm. semi-custodial model where you have all these federation members um, who basically need to collude to steal the money, has the ability to send tokens on top. Um, I had a really great conversation with Adam Beck um, about Liquid and other things. Uh, that's uh, Civil Dispatch 20. If you freaks haven't listened to it and you're more curious about Liquid, go check that out. Uh, that's dispatch.com slash CD20. Um, and then recently, I actually had two Venezuelan Bitcoiners on, uh, dispatch 52 And they were talking about stable coins, which can be transferred on Liquid um, and, and how useful they are to the Latin American population. So I think a lot of, um, you know, from my perspective, Bitcoin is my stable coin. I think on a long time scale, um, it's the most, you know, stable asset we will ever have. I think it'll trend up with adoption, but as adoption hit starts to hit a critical mass, um, it'll always increase slowly in purchasing power, but it'll become very stable. Um, but in the short term, when you're looking at a lot of these developing world countries, um, they, they really want to peg themselves to the U S dollar. They want access to the U S dollars and stable coins provide a route for them in that regard. So I guess, Liquid could be, I mean, uh, Spectre could be a way that they could hold, right? They can hold these these stable coins. Yes. So now first, I'm curious: one, is yes. do, can you use can you do multi sig Liquid mm -hmm. on Spectre? Yes, you, with the Spectre hardware wallet, you can do it. Uh, I think we are working on. Um, oh, because the I'm hardware sure. wallets themselves need to support it as well. Yes. So the the there's for for liquid hardware we have the Jade, but I'm not sure if it can already do multi sig. I think we are we are working on that. We're, or the the green team is working on that. Um, but with Spectre, with the Spectre DIY or the Spectre Shield, we have a new device coming up. Um, you can use um, liquid uh, multi-signature cold storage there. 
And um, yeah, I wanted to, yeah, this is, this is something also important if you start issuing equity tokens or Bitcoin bonds and uh, you want to be able to hold these tokens uh, in multisig or also as a company, if you want to um, hold uh, like a part of your uh, treasury in or like of your, you want to, you have your Bitcoin stack in cold storage, but you want to hold some stable coin for working capital stability. So um, this is something also you want to probably hold in in uh, multisig uh, in a liquid multisig cold storage, and this is something I really noticed in El Salvador when I was down there in uh, June, um, that the price went down from sixty to thirty thousand, and all these small uh, hotels there and restaurants and everybody, they didn't want to. Um, accept bitcoin anymore and so and i was like what's what's going on and they basically had their working capital balance crash like on the way up everybody wanted to have bitcoin and on the way down it got really really painful for these uh, small businesses because um, you cannot run your little hotel when without working capital stability which means that you get paid in, in bitcoin then bitcoin price crashes and you have to buy new supplies for your restaurant or pay your employees so this uh, we are not there yet we need some kind of uh, short-term stability and short-term stability well is not especially is what you get uh, with bitcoin you get it to the upside over the long term but uh, running a business on, on bitcoin if you don't have a strong capital how you say uh, reserve. basis it's reserve yeah. it's 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 really difficult so yeah so the, the, these two cents. Yeah, I mean, on I think. I mean, I think most Bitcoiners can relate. To, at least, I mean, any Bitcoiner that's all in and makes money, may, like earns Bitcoin directly, uh, can relate to you know just your your net worth dropping by fifty percent in a couple of weeks is not never a good feeling. Um. So uh, before we continue, so I mean, you helped run the adopting Bitcoin conference in El Salvador, right? <laughs> Yes. So in June, when I was there, I met with Nicola, which is the CTO of Bitcoin Beach and uh, the Galloy team. And um, I was there and I was like a bit surprised that in July there wasn't more Bitcoin activity. We had Bracky there, we had uh, Mark Moss, but basically it was just a, a bunch of 20 Bitcoiners there. And so we started talking about what, what can be done. And one thing was that um, Fode, Aaron, Nicola and me, we set up the Bitcoin meetup in, in San Salvador and really kickstarted this. But we also did this to have a to meet the local Bitcoiners, which was helpful for Aaron, but also to 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 prepare the ground for a Bitcoin conference, the Adopting Bitcoin conference. And what actually happened is that um, the first week we were out in uh, in Elizonte, and the second week uh, Nicola and me we went to to San Salvador. And through my LinkedIn contact, uh, I'm a little bit of a LinkedIn monster there. I contacted a bunch of bankers and 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 managers there in San Salvador. We had meetings with a bunch of banks there. And we came in there and basically nobody knew about what they want to do. And they were talking, one bank was talking to Ripple actually. And so I was then putting a bit more pressure on, on Nicola and said, hey, we need a, a conference. And then great kudos, huge respect to the whole um, Bitcoin Beach and Galloy team there that they actually decided to pull this off. And we had a really, really fantastic conference in November with amazing energy 
um, 600, uh, 700 Bitcoiners uh, on the ground in the Sheraton Hotel there. And uh, we had a fantastic time. We had a, a beach day. We had two-day conferences with much, much of a lightning focus. I would like to add a little bit more Bitcoin focus. Um, it's not yet announced, but I think it will be coming back in November to um, El Salvador. Awesome. And it's going to be off the chart. It was an amazing yeah, I mean, energy. The lineup and the agenda was great. I mean, as someone who unfortunately couldn't make it, uh, I was feeling some massive FOMO. Um, to, to other people who weren't able to make it, um, if you go to adopting Bitcoin, if you go to Bitcoin TV.com, adopting Bitcoin as a channel there, uh, with all the talks, uh, highly recommend some really great content and discussions, um, came out of that, uh, that event. So thank you for running that. Um, what was your, I, I that was your first time in El Salvador, right? No, my first time was after the announcement, like a month later. Oh, right. And then right. I started talking them into, and then my second time, um, I came for the conference like a week before, a week afterwards. We will so, probably also be uh, the month in November this time. So, what was your opinion of of on the ground in El Salvador? I mean, the first country to you know adopt Bitcoin nationwide. Um, I mean, how did it feel? You know, is it did it feel like a success so far? What were the pain points? How did the average people seem to take it? I mean, it feels really electric because uh, especially in July when we came there, like, okay, it's just really a little beach town and we have basically 20 shops or whatever, 30 shops accepting Bitcoin there. It wasn't, it wasn't like the big, big thing that we, we, we see on Bitcoin Twitter. But, uh, and we were like also, like there was another reason for the conference with the bank stuff. We were really worried that the 7th of September, that Bitcoin starts in El Salvador and basically nothing works. Everything is a shit show and, uh, and it didn't come like this. So the 7th of September was really successful. You can say about Chivo what you want, but um, this, it, it, it kind of works. And it for a government <laughs> put together... Uh, is it wallet, low bar kind of works is, is a success? It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good, you know. And then in November, we came back in November and like the difference was massive you can we landed in at the airport went to the little restaurant store there and could right away pay our lunch with bitcoin it wasn't lightning it was on chain whatever but it was already uh, that and then you go into the town and you can go to the little pupusa uh, uh, arepa shop there and, uh, and and pay there but you also can go to mcdonald's to starbucks and and stuff just works you know and so this is like it's really exciting to to see this and to be the this is the first place this is ground zero and um yes so i think also like to expand a little bit on that here is like um a lot of people are, are thinking oh um bukele and stuff i think bukele needs the bitcoiners now way more than than, than the bitcoiners need uh, bukele or bitcoin needs bukele um he really is is betting big time on on the whole bitcoin story and uh i think he's also very dependent on his public perception and stuff so he needs to be uh, well received by the bitcoiners on bitcoin twitter so i think the game I mean, theory I think, is quite interesting yeah. there i mean definitely for him to the extreme but i mean i would say that's probably pretty consistent with the way you should look at like every government every individual every corporation 
Um, they all need Bitcoin more than uh, Bitcoin needs them. Bitcoin's bigger than any of those individuals. Uh, just a complete tangent, because this is awesome. Uh, the guy, Yochi, who asked the question earlier about Ledger and using it with Spectre is completed his onboarding process while we were having this conversation. So yeah, um, no, I think fun. that just goes to show, just goes to show how easy uh, you guys have gotten that UX down. Um, yeah. <laughs> El Salvador is a very interesting uh, case study. Uh, it definitely, it, it, it's, it's what you would expect uh, that a challenger country, a small country would adopt Bitcoin first. Um, it happened sooner than I expected. I'm curious to see if other countries start to follow suit in like kind of a dominoes type of way. Um, obviously, the Chiva wallet has a lot of privacy um, and custodial concerns in terms of the government's control over it. Um, but uh, the, the key aspect there is that Chivo does interact with the greater Bitcoin monetary network and the, and the Lightning network. And um, as a result, you can use tools like Spectre in your own node or Blue Wallet or Moon to use um, rather than relying on the government wallet. Like, I don't think people should be relying on that gov that government wallet. It does, it does concern me a bit, and I think people should be. Uh, it's important that as Bitcoiners, especially ones with public platforms, that we talk about the trade-offs uh, that are inherent there uh, because they are real trade-offs and they are real risks to users of, of that wallet. But, but that is awesome. I really need to make my, my pilgrimage to El Salvador. I am... A little bit ashamed of myself that I haven't done it yet, uh, but I, I I will soon. Hopefully, I can make uh, the next adopting Bitcoin conference. That would be that would be fucking fire. Um, I will make sure you have enough FOMO that <laughs> you, you can't let this go. <laughs> uh, well, pretty good at. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to be successful at that. I mean, I got so much FOMO <laughs> in the last one. Um, before we switched into El Salvador question, uh, you know, people were giving you shit in the comments about liquid integration, saying you shouldn't have liquid integrated. I think it's important for people to realize uh, that it is an optional feature. Um, you can use Spectre without ever using liquid, as I do. Um, and then there's also this aspect. Uh, I mean, we're going to be talking about another feature that uh, has been controversial. But before we get there, um, you know, Spectre is MIT licensed, which is uh, one of the least restrictive open source licenses available. Uh, not only can you inspect and verify the code, but you can modify, distribute, and sell it um, without any additional permission from the Spectre team. Um, so if there is a lot of demand for a Spectre wallet without liquid in it, uh, another team, a group of individuals, a single individual ca can fork out liquid. Um, how do you, so you have that option available to, to you as a user. That is one of the beauties of free and open source software. Uh, Moritz, how, how do you, how do you view, cause Spectre is an interesting project, right? And I, I just had the seed signer. I had Seed Signer on uh, yesterday. I know Keith's involved with the Seed Signer project as well. Um, that is also an MIT licensed product. Um, there's a lot of interesting different models that are going on in terms of open source projects that are also being run for profit. And he's he's not actually running Seed Signer for profit right now, but he is considering different uh, potential paths. How do you view 
uh, your choice of the MIT license of, of having Spectre as proper free open source software with this also attempt at path to monetization? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you look at that? Um, so just to explain a little bit how, how we think about this. So the, the Spectre like core version, which I mentioned before is like your node, your verification, your wallet infrastructure, your privacy, um, your, your keys, your Bitcoin, like this is the core feature of Spectre. And this is the, should be always free and should always, um, put the user by default into the right direction that he runs his own node. I mean, we will maybe add later on some um, Electrum uh, feature, but f f I would like to really keep it uh, uh, by default node. And this is something where I square a little bit with Sparrow, where you know, the default mode is more um, towards um, running uh, it with a Electrum, pre-selected Electrum servers, I think MZ, Blockstream, Mempool, and others. But... Uh, I think like the full settings really define the long-term user behavior. And then you have set up your, your Spectre or your, your, your desktop wallet. And I think then the question comes in like, um, how do you like as a team maintain it and how do you keep supporting it and, and keep this wallet info experience really great? So there are um, different ways to go forward. Like one would be a coin join uh, integration where Sparrow has gone or Wasabi has gone that you um, earn money on the, on the coin join side and the, the, the money you earn is helping to improve um, the wallet experience or you add, add other tools uh, like uh, you could uh, integrate a TDEX or um, other, other features um, or services like um, Swan Bitcoin and uh, earn money through the cooperation with these uh, companies and from these fees can pay a team to support uh, uh, the desktop wallet in, in, in such a sense. So. Um, to answer your question here, yeah, I don't really see a point in um, in forking out Spectre here because, like, the, if you download Spectre and you run it by default, you don't activate any coin join tools or uh, services that you might want to use to to buy or sell Bitcoin um, or Bitcoin backed loans uh, features or something like this. Then you you have uh, you have uh, you have a, a clean free default mode here. Uh, if, that, if that makes your point makes is sense it's, it's optional so there's no yes. need to fork it yes and like we want to we have a we have a good group of of legit bitcoiners working on this um and they will 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 maintain this as uh, as as we build out this 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 model right so the defensive position is is we you have a solid reputation you have um, solid eyes looking at the code and and improving the code. Mm -hmm. um, so the overwhelming majority of people will use your distribution, even if um, technically anyone can fork it and 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 do I mean, what they want if, with it, right? Yes, and if somebody comes along and says like, "Oh, we want to fork Spectre," and when we are happy to go into a discussion then to see like, okay, how can we? provide a like a spectre minimal version or something like this right uh, and and support this team in 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 offering which is which has which 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 is just like the minimal minimal og version to say so 
So, but at the moment, to be frank, we don't have the resources. We are we're working on on getting in some resources to 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 build out the team, and uh, and, uh, and 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 keep improving the the specter overall. And uh, yeah, so the. Do you guys can, have can, a Do you guys have a public donation page? We have a public donation page. It's a little bit uh, we are a little bit. Uh, uh, on, hidden on our GitHub, I guess. But if you come, uh, go on our GitHub, uh, uh, help wanted, and there's the donation link. And uh, yes, so we 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 bootstrapped the thing for the last three years with uh, Stepan's uh, brain power on low salaries and uh, my low salaries and uh, uh, lots of Bitcoin and Satoshi's that I uh, put into Spectre to to have this wallet out there. Yeah, like, um, yeah, go on. If you look at, you know, if you look at what I think, uh, biased opinion, the most important wallets in the space, aside from Core, obviously, you know, you've got Spectre, Sparrow. I would consider Blue Wallet on that list. I would consider Samurai on that list. But just looking at Spectre and, and Sparrow, like, those are like your, I think, your two best choices for your multi sig, your cold storage, uh, that the most hardcore Bitcoiners, that, that should be like, you know, their, their default options is one of those two. And the Spectre technical team, it's Stepan is the, the giant brain doing the hardest things that are closest to Bitcoin uh, that are like way more complicated than, than I can understand. And then you basically have like one other, you know, mostly full-time developer. I, you know, I, I came into, into Spectre just as a open source contributor. I was like, hey, I'd, I'd like it to be able to do, you know, I'd like it to be able to use Tor. Do you, do you mind if I build Tor support? And they're like, oh my God, please do. You know, like, hey, do you mind if I make it so I can plug in my USB hardware wallet? And they're like, holy shit, yes, please do that. Um, but the team is tiny. And then, you know, Sparrow, it's just Craig, right? Um, yeah, I shouldn't have phrased it. It's just Craig, raw, comma, correct? <laughs> um, He's a like, monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy is so prolific, right? He's so impressive. But, and, and I think he just got a grant recently from uh, HRF. Correct. But like, these are two really important wallets being primarily worked on and maintained by like people you can count on one hand. Like it, it's insane. Right. And I don't know what the, the funding, the revenue model solution is. Uh, I mean, I'm currently community funded to do my full-time seed signer work, but right. it's also meant to be short-term. Like I had this window right. of opportunity it's hard to make donations work. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't plan the next, you know, year or two or three of my life around being community funded, but I was able to carve out, Hey, I can do the next three months. And if the money runs out after that, okay, then I go find a normie job. Um, but just these these super important projects are run by so few people with you know shoestring or non-existent budgets it's 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 mind-boggling like it it i when i think about it it makes me feel like the space is a little more vulnerable than we realize oh yeah we're way more vulnerable than people realize especially on bitcoin twitter um well first off uh Maurice, you failed the question earlier. If people want to donate to Spectre, you go to donate.spectre.solutions uh, to support right. them. Consider supporting them if you like uh, if, if, if you like their software. Um, 
the second thing is, you know, Keith, like I, I think what's really cool about Bitcoin and I, I find it, it's a very interesting subtopic of Bitcoin is this is this idea of monetizing uh, free and open source projects because Bitcoin all of a sudden brings in these these new possibilities in terms of actually uh, monetizing without integrating, you know, third party companies or um, centralized third parties like taking donations via Stripe. So like as much as the donation model is probably not sustainable, uh, it's definitely way more practical in a post Bitcoin world because, you know, you're just spinning up a BTC pay server or something. People can pay you with any Bitcoin wallet um, without KYC, without a centralized third party. Um, but then on top of that, some of these models that are being tested out, uh, and you mentioned Sparrow, you know, Craig has a public donation page, uh, which everyone should go support him as well. If you like Sparrow, um, I have supported him. Um, the, but he's also now making money from his coin joint integration. And that is a, a, a actual very sustainable business model where when you do coin joins, uh, when you do coin join transactions, when you do these collaborative Bitcoin transactions, um, in Sparrow wallet, there's a fee that is paid and he gets a portion of it. And the samurai wallet devs get a portion of it. Uh, mm-hmm. purely in Bitcoin, right? So he has this Bitcoin treasury that is basically uh, accumulating there. And presumably, if he doesn't have um, other open source contributors come in at the goodness of their heart to start contributing, he can start paying people. And that's another thing, by the way, like if you are a programmer, consider, you know, Spectre is free and open source software, consider going to their GitHub, consider contributing, consider review. Um, I'm sure Maritz and the rest of the team over there would appreciate it. So... Do consider absolutely that. do absolutely do. so we are looking at the different uh, coin join implementations we are in discussions there for uh join market web ui where uh, some some something is happening with with gigi and uh, dennis ryman and but we also yeah. we have a bounty uh, for that the hrf i helped set up a bounty with hrf um if if whoever comes up with the the web ui for join market gets uh I think we're at like a half a Bitcoin, but don't quote me on that. I mean, that. join market on Whirlpool would be really cool. Uh, join market on Spectre would be really cool because I think then the the, the users can actually uh, gener- generate Bitcoin yields by providing market making liquidity to the to the join market. So I think that that was really cool. But we are sort of in this whole coin join war, especially between Whirlpool and Wasabi, we, we try to be... Uh, neutral and we are looking at the different implementations there um it's a bit it's a bit difficult and we also like during the hardware wallet war so in overall in the hardware wallet so like we do the specter diy but for us it was always we want to keep out of the these uh, hardware wallet wars and we we want to be very constructive and 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 uh, like contributing to the space and not like get into twitter or flame wars there so and that's why we also added like all uh, all hardware wallets which have reasonable traction in the, in, in the space and are like not like a full shitcoin thing um, only or something. So we, we try to, to 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 be the neutral there. I would love to see a Wasabi and a Whirlpool uh, integration there. I think Wasabi 2.0 is coming up with something there. So we would be interested. So what in your that. plan? 
your plan of attack is to integrate all three, join market, Whirlpool, and, <laughs> and then, Wasabi. Then let the market decide, and then you can Whirlpool first and Wasabi later and join market finally <laughs> until you have coin joined yourself out of all your Bitcoin. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I like, the, I like the idea of Spectre being, you know, the wallet of options. Options are good. Bitcoin, yes. Bitcoiners uh, should be happy they have more options and they should choose the ones that uh, fit their particular situation best. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, CoinJoin well, specifically is a very interesting revenue model for, especially because, you know, you kill two birds with one stone, you're able to bring in revenue for you, um, but you're improving the privacy of your users. Yes. And and yeah, that's a, that's a good point to, to hit on now because like we uh, integrated first uh, with Swan Bitcoin now, so you can stack directly from Swan Bitcoin into your Spectre wallet and um, we... We, we got some pushback on, on yeah, Twitter. Let's talk about so. that. And uh, people were saying, hey, you're an open source uh, wallet here. How do you square this with integrating a, a KYC company like, like Swan Bitcoin? And um, I think on a, on a larger picture here, it's like we started working with Swan uh, four months ago five months ago, four months ago. And it really helped us a lot to build like this extension and, and tool, um, this extension system, which we now will use to uh, add uh, coin joins in, join market in. And it was really great working with Pablo and with Jan from, from Swan there and to see how they do things. And, 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 and through this building experience, we, we came to our extension model there. And on a bigger picture, I would say is that on the one side, as Bitcoiners, we want to hyper-Bitcoinize as, as fast and, and defund all this clown world around us. So we want to have fast adoption. And on the other side, we want to be, we want to see uh, no KYC. And um, and if you talk no KYC, I mean, of course, you can go with your couple of thousand uh, euros to your local meetup. And if you are in Germany and the country is relatively safe, you can go to your local meetup and you know your body's there and you maybe somebody wants to sell and you can do that or you can go to Bisco and you can go to, to Hoddle Hoddle or something like this. But I think we will have very slow adoption if, we, if, you, if everybody would do no KYC. So, so let's let's talk about this because this is one of the main topics I wanted to talk about, um, and I'm torn on it personally. I mean, I am probably one of the more outspoken people in the space about the dangers of KYC. Um, this idea that regulated Bitcoin companies are keeping lists of Bitcoiners and our transaction history—they're keeping those lists forever. They're sharing those lists. Uh, they're storing them insecurely. Maybe they get stolen, um, used by criminals used by governments for political persecution, like we're seeing in Canada right now. Um, but at the same time, I uh, am a man of nuance. And I understand a lot of people are going to be coming in uh, through regulated on-ramps. Um, so, I mean, I, I think there's a, a multi-pronged approach there. I think first and foremost, you know, we should be obvious about the trade-offs and risks there because most newcomers coming into the space do not even understand that there's trade-offs or risks. So they can't make an informed decision to begin with. Um, and then secondly, you know, like little things like we see newcomers come in, they KYC with like 10 different services. They send their ID to 10 different companies in eight different countries. 
just immediately and sign up for every service under the sun. Uh, just like limiting your KYC exposure to maybe one on-ramp, uh, you know, and then never, you know, never KYCing with another service besides that using forward privacy tools. Um, so I'm a little bit torn on this debate because actually um, I was one of the people, uh, one of the most outspoken people pushing Swan in this direction, which is this idea that a on-ramp that is regulated has a uh, responsibility to their users to make a UX flow that reduces their risk to KYC as much as possible. And what do I mean by that? I mean, Swan has auto, uh, auto buys, right? So it's, it's auto stacking instead of trading. Um, so you're averaging in over time, the volatility isn't hitting you. Then they have auto withdrawals. And then, but the problem with the auto withdrawals, the nice thing about auto withdrawals is you don't have, you have reduced custodial risk. The problem was the easiest way for them to integrate it was a fixed reused address. So anyone on chain could see that the same address was receiving, you know, maybe $50 worth of Bitcoin a week or $100 worth of Bitcoin a week. And they could basically assume that someone there was doing an auto DCA, probably with Swan for $100 a week um, and was leaking all this information. So then where do you go from there? Well, you can you can integrate paynims, which would be awesome, which is what I wanted them to do. Or you can integrate XPubs. Um, so they came up with this XPub tool that was an open source, locally done XPub tool where you put your XPub in. And instead of the XPub going to their servers, um, it, it sends like the next 10 addresses or something. But that was clunky. Most people weren't using it, right? So enter the Spectre integration, which is this idea that uh, you open Spectre, you create a... I, I guess you can either create a new wallet or you can link it with an existing wallet. Um, and it sends 10 addresses, 10 fresh addresses that haven't been used to Swan. And then as, um, and then it reserves them within Spectre's uh, UI. So you don't reuse them because you don't want, you don't want to use an address that is already linked to a KYC exchange. Um, and, on top of that, it doesn't have to be a hot wallet. It could be, um, it, it can be a hardware wallet. It could be a multi-sig. It could be whatever wallet you're using in Spectre. So it is a evolution in terms of, you know, the UX and flow of, of, of using a KYC service. So it's obviously a benefit there. Um, but you do have this inherent KYC risk that comes with it. So, I mean, first of all, I was going to get Moritz's opinion, but he conveniently uh, disconnected. I think his internet probably cut. Hopefully he'll join us soon. So while we're waiting for Moritz, uh, Moritz just came back and joined us. Um, Moritz, I was just explaining basically the flow and the different trade-offs. Um, I, Keith, what is, I mean, Keith, I know you've been working, you helped work on this integration. Like what is... Like, what is your opinion here? Where do you, where do you, like, how do you, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally respect the, the no KYC or limit your KYC maximalism. Um, I would describe myself as a pragmatist maximalist. Um, uh, and so for existing SWAN users, the Spectre integration is 100% 
a better experience and and better for their privacy because as you said so there the swan the normal swan xpub route is you submit your xpub to them uh now they say it stays in your browser and your i, I guess your browser calculates uh you know 100 addresses or something it's and like that's generated what, locally you can like inspect yeah. element if you want to look at the code it's open source tool or whatever yeah, but I think Jan said that they send, it was a huge number, like maybe like, I don't know, 500 or something. Because I asked him what happens when uh, you run out of addresses and you need to reload. And he's like, that hasn't happened yet <laughs> because they, they send so many uh, over the wire. Um, so, so in this case, and and look, I, you know, I want to make, make super clear, like Jan gets all of this too. Right, it's not like he's like greedily trying to scoop up your your private info. Like, uh, he's a good actor. He's doing everything he can from his side, working for a KYC on ramp um, to limit those those touch points. And I think, you know, he's he's doing like a very good, admirable job, admirable job, even if you find that like philosophical side of the fence disagreeable. Um, but anyway. With the Spectre integration, like you said, we're only sending 10 addresses at most. And then each time you sign into Spectre, it checks your essentially your address balance, how many, how many are still outstanding. And it tops you up if you've received, you know, three auto withdrawals and since the last time you opened Spectre, it sends three more to uh, to Swan. So at any one point in time, Swan only has 10 of your future addresses. And the the previous XPub method only worked for single sig. So it's a huge upgrade to be able to use your own multi-sig cold storage. I mean, this could be your, your ice cold vault that you know you have to travel to five different countries to, to spend from. And you can be stacking to that uh, from Swan without any you know hardware wallet or, or uh, messing with your, your automatically uh, using your own node. Yeah. Yeah. So for existing Swan users, it's a total slam dunk. Uh, and even people that are KYC like... KYC users in general, it's probably the best KYC. If you're going to KYC, it's probably the best KYC flow that exists right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and something that like even I'm just kind of wrapping my brain around, I haven't used the Whirlpool integration with Sparrow, but I kind of feel like you should be able to have the exact same parallel wallet inspector and in sparrow and so when your swan deposits come in you could just you could see them come in on the specter side but then open the identical wallet in sparrow and say hey you know what i want to coin join those and you've got it right there um well so i mean you brought me to my next uh thing which is you know maurice is talking about integrating coin join the real if you want to talk about the real ideal kyc flow and we're going to talk about is is this idea that you have a hot wallet, you create a new Swan wallet inspector that is only for Swan. You get auto withdraws to that wallet in in fresh addresses, and then it automatically coin joins. And then from after it does a couple coin join rounds, you know the user sets how many rounds they want. Then it goes to your multi sig cold storage that's across five different continents. That would be like the best flow in terms of minimizing KYC risk while still using a regulated entity. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's that's how it should be. And if there were a thousand hours in a day, that that would be ready to go right now. Make but, it happen, uh, Keith. <laughs> well, you know, in terms of so here's a pitch. In terms of funding, like you know, there's like Spectre is a tiny team. Um, like the and I'm struggling to understand the Whirlpool ecosystem. I've used it. I, I get how the tools work, but just the, I've been struggling to figure out what we would have to do to actually integrate with, with Whirlpool. Um, and so for sure, at, at some point, I'm going to just have to have conversations with, with the samurai devs and, and to understand this better. And with Craig, but, because he just did it. Right. Right. But, but I think uh, Craig had a little bit of an easier time because Sparrow is Java. Correct. And then the, the Whirlpool client that you can run on your own node is also Java. And so essentially my understanding is that Sparrow is replacing the role of that local Java Whirlpool client that you would run, you know, that you can like one click install from, from Umbral. Um, and, and not, not that it was just a copy and paste job, but like, you know, Java to Java, he, he knows how to read that code. He can kind of absorb it and, and alter yeah, it, whatever. Made it easier. Yeah, um, or use even some some existing libraries, maybe if they're any of them are open sourced. Um, but basically, we need a Python implementation of a client that can talk to the Whirlpool servers. And as far as I know, that doesn't exist. It should exist. If we have to build it, we will. I want to build it, but like you know, right now I'm full time seed signer, and then when I feel like I've accomplished enough during my day. I set that aside and like, okay, cool. What do I want to do inspector now? You know, or it's like Saturday or Sunday, right? Like this is what I do for fun in my free time on top of my like quote full-time job with, with seed signer. Um, but if somebody out there has the Python skills to build a Python whirlpool client, hell yeah, bring it on. Like we'll, we'll integrate that sucker as fast as we can. Yep. So this is actually the plan going forward is that we, the, the flow you just described from the, from stacking into your uh, coin join cold storage is this, this is actually the flow we want to go towards because this is also, it's not perfectly in terms of no KYC because it's not that you buy it peer to peer on a meetup or a conference or, or, or no, like that. There's still so a this, record of you purchasing Bitcoin yes. and how much Bitcoin and what your withdrawal address was. Yes, and like, like if you if you do this and uh, as a Bitcoiner, you should assume that this kind of data leaks. And we have seen it from the uh, from the ledger hack when they had uh, all the right. uh, customer list hacked. Like this home this addresses, name, phone number, email. Yes. So, so. Uh, I think going forward, when the state really understands that the money is is not under his control anymore, and as we see in Canada, I would expect like I would expect like the Canan this this FinTrack thing there in Canada come to bull Bitcoin and tell Francis like, okay, we want to have a list of all your customers, uh, all the email addresses, and we want to know to which yep. to which addresses these Bitcoin come to. So this is what I would expect, uh, not only in Canada but worldwide. Especially when the, when the gains are too too high and uh, like the climate change fud is coming, and then you have to 
pay a climate change solidarity tax on your Bitcoin stack <laughs> and, and about the time you hodled it. And then they look at these addresses and they will go to, to channel analysis and just check, um, okay, um, this has hopped one, two or three times. We have, we assume that you have X amount of Bitcoin. Please uh, send 10% uh, of these to this uh, uh, tax authority Bitcoin address. Thank you very much. This is what I expect to come. And then you can choose if you want to keep sitting in Germany where the German Supreme Court already has basically uh, waived uh, climate change lockdowns and insanity and the European Union is setting up a European asset registry. And if you want to do that, okay, you can sit in Germany and then you pay 20% on your uh, corona tax or climate change tax. Or you say, okay, I'm going to pack up and I'm going to El Salvador or Mexico or move to Paraguay and, and Panama or whatever. So this is, this is the choice that's coming up for a lot of people over the next five years. Or you buy no, you or you buy no KYC at your local Bitcoin meetup. <laughs> yeah, or you mine. I mean, we've or had. There's a lot of no KYC. There's a lot of discussions on on dispatch. Uh, freaks who haven't listened to them in the past can go back. I mean, I'm not going to list episode numbers because uh, there's been you know, this is this is dispatch 56, and maybe we've talked about the trade offs of KYC in like 40 of them, 45 of them. Um, so go listen to the archives. I mean, you can mine, you can, you can earn Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin uh, rather than buying or selling Bitcoin. But let's keep talking about this, uh, this SWAN integration, because you guys have gotten a lot of pushback on it. Um, first of all, it is optional, right? Um, I, I assume it's a monetization method as well, right? Like you get a kickback with the SWAN integration. Yes, we have like um, Swan Bitcoin has a referral system, and um, if our user, like if it's a, if a Spectre user comes and signs up for the service through the Spectre referral link, he can support the Spectre there as we are getting a cut out of the fees there, and um, this is how we how we are moving forward. We uh, plan to support better wallet development and a bigger developer team to keep the, the free default system really well, like really well set up. So this is um, also a monetization, like, like you, need, you need to make money. You have to pay your bills and you have to pay your developers and uh, people have to pay rent somehow. Right. Um, so, I mean, Right, right before you guys integrated Swan. I, by the way, Keith, in response to my uh, to the dispatch we did, um, where we were discussing, um, we were discussing your recent integration. I think it was uh, CD fifty three with uh, Carmen and Tony. Um, you mentioned that you were adding some kind of like warning tooltip that it's a KYC service and it comes with, a, you know, privacy risks. Did that ever get added? Did that ever get merged? It's been merged. Uh, I don't think there's been a new release. So it would be gotcha. something like a 1.8.2. I think 1.8.1 is the current release. So whatever the next either minor or major releases, that'll be included. Awesome. Um, I love to see when open Bitcoin discussion results in... Uh, 
improved product, uh, improved projects. It's, it's really great to see. I mean, like I said, I think the number one thing uh, when it comes to the risks of KYC is that these trade-offs are disclosed, that users are aware that they can make their own decision. I mean, Bitcoin uh, and the open source movement in general to me is a freedom movement. It's a movement of personal responsibility. It's a movement where um, ultimately you're going to have many options available to you and users should make their own informed decision on how they want to proceed. But right before uh, you guys integrated SWAN, um, there was the AOPP debate on Bitcoin mm-hmm. Twitter. Uh, AOPP is the Address Ownership Proof Protocol. Um, it was designed uh, based on Swiss compliance rules, uh, based on the travel rule, which FATFA pushed the travel rule. FATFA is an unelected bureaucratic organization globally. Um, that doesn't actually pass laws, but they have a bunch of member countries and they make uh, these very strong worded uh, suggestions like they did with the travel rule. And then they leave it up to individual countries to implement them. Um, Switzerland went above and beyond and said that any person uh, using a regulated Swiss uh, Bitcoin exchange needs to sign their withdrawal addresses. Signing a withdrawal address is a native Bitcoin function. Um, it's a very cool function. It's a way of proving you have ownership of an address or you have control over an address, um, in a verifiable way that is very easy for anyone to verify around the world, um, without exact, without exposing your private keys. Uh, this is what, um, many of us have been saying that, uh, Craig Wright should do, uh, to prove at least to give some benefit of the doubt that he's Satoshi's you know, sign some early keys that, that people presume belong to Satoshi. He refuses to do it because he's a fraud. But um, AOPP was this idea that let's make this signing process easier, integrate it into wallets. So instead of going through uh, a little bit more cumbersome of a process uh, to sign an address, because a lot of wallets already offer that functionality, including Bitcoin Core, um, make it easier and make it standardized. Um, there was a lot of pushback against it, uh, most notably because uh, a lot of Bitcoiners, I think myself included, don't think that we should go above and beyond to comply with burdensome regulation. Um, it just kind of solidifies uh, that regulation rather than putting pressure on the individual companies to basically then go put pressure on their governments to say, you're completely destroying our business model. If you make them comfortable, then... Uh, they will just proceed and the regulation will get even more burdensome over time. Um, what's your viewpoint on AOPP? I know Spectre does not have it integrated. Uh, do you have plans to integrate it? How, how do you feel about it? Um, yeah, so we were not part of this whole drama there because we didn't implement AOPP, but we were approached by Lucas Betchert, who's from 21 Analytics, and he's the... I think the head of the like he's associated very closely to the like Swiss Bitcoin him Association. And, yeah, him and Shift Crypto were like leading the AOPP charge, basically. Yes, and um, they were both Swiss companies, and they approached us to to add this. Um, but I I looked at it and then yes, it's like they they're they're doing okay with the signing at that point, and I didn't like the whole smell about it and. Then also the user didn't demand it or we didn't see a lot of push out of, of Switzerland that all our users want to use it. And I didn't like the dynamic about it that uh, this travel rule is 
pushed on the exchanges and then the user has to sign this like the user should just give his bitcoin address there and click on withdraw and and that's the and that's the story basically and there shouldn't be any signing circles and making things more annoying from the ux side and so we have a phone call or whatever and but i sort of we didn't move forward on that to to put it politely because we we didn't li like it and if you really start thinking about this dynamic that the FATF is basically picking up this message signing thing here and uh, puts this wraps this into his travel rule if you go down this road then it becomes really slippery because like what happens if the regulators then approach Sparrow or Spectre and, and pushes puts a lot of pressure on us that we have to um, run these travel rule uh, AOPP things by default? And, you know, default settings define long-term user behavior. And all of a sudden, if I send Bitcoin to Keith, Keith has to uh, AOPP basically right. his, his, his address to me. And then... As a next level, if you are when we when uh, when we go back to the Trezor and, and Ledger um, discussion, which I was bringing up before, um, and everybody is KYC ML, then these infrastructures of Trezor and Ledger they can feed this back into a let's say European Asset Registry or FinTrack system in the in, in and we 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 basically blow it all away and. Like, will it become illegal to do non-AOPP compliant transactions? So talking to Slippery like slope. regulators in Liechtenstein, um, like if you talk to these uh, KYC, AML sort of specialists and who talk to the regulators, these people are like really like pretty crazy in my opinion, because they really think that they can press this kind of travel rule stuff into uh into the, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And we have to take a stand there and say like, okay, um, and from right from the beginning, I think is, is, is the way. Like don't, don't give them a little bit AOPP and then it goes from Switzerland to Austria and next it's in Canada. And no, no, no. We have to be non-compliant here from, from the get-go. So then, so, so to, 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 to go from there, um, our conversation in CD 53 was, um, and, and this is where, I mean, you dropped out a little bit, but this is why, even though I originally pushed for, you know, Swan making a easy flow for people to have auto withdraw to their own addresses, um, amid the AOPP stuff, how do you see the difference between your SWAN integration versus AOPP? Um, I would say like the, the, the AOPP puts a technology into your wallet that makes it very convenient to comply with the travel rule. And at the beginning is just withdrawing from the exchange and we don't have this with Swan and, and, it, and it opens the door. If you have AOPP in there and other users have AOPP, you can sort of 
put it into the main wallets out there. So, and this is where things becomes really tricky in my opinion. This is, this right. is the key thing. But like, so, I mean, this was the conversation that I had with Carmen and Tony on 53 that, um, that Keith basically picked up on and he listened to that conversation um, to add, you know, that the, an explanation of KYC trade-offs to your integration. But my thought process was, and, and to be perfectly clear, like this was something like I was, you know, AOPP had just kind of happened. Uh, well, actually AOPP was integrated by shift crypto in their bit box um, last year at some point. Uh, it just hit the news because Trezor was making a big deal about integrating it. Then they rolled it back. But that's why uh, the debate happened was Trezor released like a press release that said, we're super excited that we uh, cucked over to regulators. Um, but like that conversation had just basically blown up on Bitcoin Twitter. Company uh, Projects were pulling out of it. Companies were pulling out of it. Um, and then we had our conversation on Dispatch. And if you think about it, like, so first of all, AOPP is a flawed regulation to begin with, but I don't think that is even that relevant. But the reason it's flawed is because um, I, when I withdraw, I can put in someone else's Bitcoin address. With AOPP, I can still do that. I can just have Keith do the AOPP procedure for me and then, mm -hmm. and then it goes to Keith. So it really doesn't solve anything. And obviously after you receive, uh, you can send it wherever you want to send. So it's, it's a, the purpose of that regulation it doesn't accomplish the purpose, which is this idea of proving ownership of the address. Um, but that doesn't really matter because regulators will continue to push burdensome regulation that doesn't actually improve anything anyway. So I think that is, is a kind of irrelevant distinction. But ultimately, the idea is try and reduce the plausible deniability of when you withdraw, whether or not you're paying someone or if you're sending to your own storage. Um, because tracking Bitcoin is is a probability game. The whole the whole way these surveillance mercenaries, um, these so called chain analysis companies, these these chain surveillance firms um, operate is they're basically doing probability analysis on every Bitcoin transaction, mm -hmm. trying to decide if ownership has changed. Right? Because me, I can send to myself to a new address over and over again. And they're basically determining, am I sending it to myself or am I sending it to Keith Moritz? Am I buying something with it? Am I sending it mm -hmm. to an exchange? They're trying to do the probability of when that Bitcoin changes hands. That's the key to their whole uh, model. And, the, and the, the reverse there is the key to breaking their model is to make those probabilities so low that they really have no, they have no idea of, of whether or not Bitcoin is changing hands. So if you, if you operate under that, um, framework, the framework of reducing plausible deniability in this integration or even without this integration, just the way Swan works in general with the auto withdrawal, if it's a reused address or if it's an XPUB, the plausible deniability is removed, right? You can basically assume that if someone is using the auto withdrawal to a fresh address, um, and I imagine some kind of data is exchanged because you're getting a kickback that that they're using Spectre. So so then you really know it's sending 10 new addresses from Spectre every time you load. I mean, it is almost more effective than AOPP in proving that 
you know, that, that, it, that it wasn't a payment to someone else, that it was, that it is actually you taking, taking control of over that Bitcoin. Right. I, I don't know. I, I, I struggle to, to see that perspective because I mean, you're, you're talking about the core offering of Swan is auto withdrawal, right? I mean, auto, auto buy with auto withdrawal. And so, right. Like, the the issue is at the swan level. Correct. Like if the concern is that it's it's a withdrawal versus a spend, that's a problem inherent in the swan model and, and the auto you know, withdrawal can, model. It's the auto withdrawal model that it's a problem with. Right, right, and and you can you can have your concerns with that, but of course balanced against you know self custody, right? And right. you're gonna you you've got to do something from your on ramps. Um, but from my perspective. So like I said, for existing users, Swan is getting less information. So for existing users, there's, well, I guess Swan would know that you're you're communicating through Spectre because the requests are coming through the API instead of the their right. web front end. Um, but yeah, from what you what you do with it from there is up to you. And and you know, you had said the ideal is get your auto withdrawal and then coin join it. Um, I think maybe the ideal would be to add some interim random hops in between, right? Some mechanism that says, hey, I've got these different wallets of different types. You know, this one is nested SegWit. This one is a ancient legacy address, you know, and and over the course of the next month, do some random hops and then coin join. Well, I mean, I, if, I don't if, know. Regulated, if regulated exchanges are forced to uh, freeze accounts based off of future coin join usage, then, you know, we're in a whole different situation. But as it stands yeah. right now, they're not, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, you shouldn't but, even have to do that aspect to it. Yeah, but so I don't, I don't, I, I viewed that line of criticism as a conversation about Swan's auto withdrawal model, but I don't know what you do. Like, you know, it, that's a, it, it's a conversation to have, but like you need on-ramps and you need self-custody. <laughs> So, you know, at that point, like, I, I don't know, I, I, I just want to send less information to Swan. I want to make it easier for people to take self-custody in an automated way that doesn't do dumb things like deposit to the same address all the time or sending an entire XPUB. Um, and if, if the conclusion is nobody should use Swan because of its auto withdrawal model, I just think that's a separate conversation. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, like, first of all, uh, I've been publicly discussing Bitcoin under this identity uh, for probably four years now, no longer than that. And I'm the first one to admit uh, that my perspectives change and my views change and my opinions change. And I'm proud of that. Like, I evolve, adapt and learn. And you can never stop learning, like be humble enough to know that you don't know everything and you just need to keep um, going down the rabbit hole. Um, and sometimes on dispatch, one of the reasons I love dispatch is it's a free flowing conversation. So sometimes I come to realizations about my own thinking uh, that I hadn't considered in the past. And this is why this, this swan conversation is very interesting. Well, first of all, um, 
I think it's pretty public that I am an advisor for Swan, but I should probably say that, and I haven't said it yet in this conversation. So there you go. Um, very, very small equity stake I got as a result of that. Um, 0.1% for full disclosure. Um, so like I happily will tell them to go fuck themselves on air, regardless of my equity <laughs> stake, just for the record. Um, so to me, the Swan flow was always the ideal KYC flow. If you were going to do KYC, first of all, Swan has been pretty good about uh, disclosing trade-offs of KYC, which once again, I think is the most important mm -hmm. thing. They've had me on their podcasts. Uh, me and Gigi wrote up a whole piece on privacy best practices. Um, it's it's uh, probably the only KYC service that actively has education out there for their users on the dangers of KYC. Um, and the auto withdrawal, I thought was you know, very positive for users. Uh, I still think it's very positive for users because the custodial risk is a real thing. Like I have friends who, you know, they use Coinbase, uh, you know, college friends and stuff. They use Coinbase. They listen to Rabbit Hole Recap. They've listened to me every single time I get drunk, scream at them uh, for using custodial <laughs> service. And then you just find out over a con random conversation that they have like the majority of their Bitcoin is still on Coinbase because they've, <laughs> You know, they just kind of forget about it. The price increases, you know, on Cash App, it's even worse. With Cash App, you you have you have these withdrawal limits that are very, very low. So as the price increases, it's harder and harder to get your Bitcoin off of Cash App. Mm. Um, so they get like stuck in this custodial relationship out of a mix of laziness and a mix of oversight and just the Bitcoin price pumping and anxiety about storage. Um so the auto withdraw idea, making it as simple as possible to reduce custodial risk made a lot of sense to me. Um, I think it's interesting that Swan has such a good reputation in the space, has a, has a pretty good reputation in the space, at least as far as, you know, KYC on ramps go. Uh, but AOPP got blown. Like, don't you think that's interesting that like AOPP got blown the fuck up, but really in practice, uh, you know, a service offering auto withdrawals actually has way better probability that it's going to your own address. Like, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I feel like they're orthogonal. Um, you know, you could you could AOPP and auto withdrawal on ramp service. Um, it's just one is saying there are these quasi-governmental agencies forcing you to attest to, to something. That's a key and, difference. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not That's complying. It's not a compliance thing, right? It's a voluntary thing. Yes. Yes. But you do agree yeah. with me that auto withdrawal proves you own the address more than AOPP does, right? Uh, probably. You're not going to give that to me, Keith? <laughs> what, what am I missing in that thought process? Because, like I said, I, I with think... AOPP, you can you can just you can just sign for me, and I can send it directly to you. But with auto withdraw, yeah, I mean, I could. It's clearly me, unless I'm like switching out to your ex-pub, and I'm just. I, buying I could Bitcoin manually. I mean, every week I could manually upload a different auto withdrawal address to Swan, and it'll be like, "Yo, I'll pay you in a week." <laughs> But that's not the case right. with the Spectre integration. With the Spectre integration, no, no, you're you right, would, right. That's true. You would well, see that, right? I, I mean, even with the Spectre integration, you could create a watch-only wallet. I mean, it would be dumb, but you could give me your XPub, right? I create mm -hmm. a watch-only wallet for your XPub, mm -hmm. 
I connect my Swan auto withdrawal to that, and I'm paying you through Swan every week. Right. But right. Yeah, so I, defaults it's like, matter, right? It's a probability game. Defaults matter, and I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I mean, something it, there. It, it might be easier to fake redirect the AOPP, uh, um, but I, it, it's like. I don't know. The, the, the differences are just, I, I don't know. They're, it's like, I, you know, we're talking about the last like 0.1% of something. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's not mm. leaping out as a huge issue or a huge like parallel to me. Maurice, what yeah. are your thoughts here? I think you're splitting hairs. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I just think it's interesting that Bitcoin Twitter, you know, like they pick, they just pick odd things to like draw the line on. Yes, I mean it's a it's a crazy Bitcoin cyber hornets Twitter thing, and you have to if if something like this blows up, you have to remain cool and 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 look what's actually being discussed and wait a couple of days or before something gets completely blown out of proportion. But it's I think it's an important immune system we have for for Bitcoin that it's reminding people who are. Uh, working on on their projects, uh, if it's Swan, if it's Spectre, if it's Sparrow, anybody else, um, to to say like, oh, AOPP is 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 not really good, or KYC is not the real way, and and beat the drum on that no KYC thing, and um, remind people that they should probably do some home mining or buy no KYC at, uh, at uh, from friends or from from the local Bitcoin meetup or whatever. And, and and go go that way because um, we don't know how we don't know as we move forward into this information age and the bitcoinization we see we don't know how crazy things will become i mean the whole canada thing is going to be really interesting also very interesting in austria is they introduced the capital gains tax on that and they're putting actually pressure on the exchanges especially the local uh, shitcoin exchange but panda to actually report um, the te- the, and report and collect the taxes and and pay it directly to the to the tax authorities there. So things are becoming really really interesting. And I could imagine that like especially at this conversation with this KYC advisor there and and, and like AML guy uh, in, in Switzerland, it was interesting that they think really that if you in the future show up and want to spend bitcoin in i don't know switzerland and want to buy a car for twenty thousand euros or swiss francs and you can prove that via travel rule who were the prior owners of these bitcoins and at which exchange they were bought you cannot basically use these bitcoin so there will be like a kyc uh, um, bitcoin world and the aml bitcoin world and there will be like this massive uh, dark pool of Bitcoin, which will continuously keep growing. So um, I, I don't know how you see this, but you see something like this coming in, in the US too? Um, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with pretty much your prognosis there. Um, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoin proponents, especially recent proponents, I would say like the sailor school of thought, if you want to give them a name that mm. think of Bitcoin as purely an investment um, asset, 
um, and are completely fine with using regulated custodians and think that additional burdensome regulation um, can provide uh, so-called regulatory clarity. So I think uh, a lot of people in that camp won't be against uh, all of this regulation that is almost definitely coming down the pipeline for uh, companies, um, mm -hmm. specifically custodial companies, hopefully not companies that are running a node for their users, but you can see it easily going down that path as well. Um, and I actually think it's so perverse that like people talk about incentives. I mean, incentives are a key aspect of Bitcoin's uh, looking at Bitcoin and, and looking at the game theory of Bitcoin. Um, there's actually s some support there. I think that, you know, if, if you have burdensome KYC regulation, um, more identity reporting stuff, the price of Bitcoin actually short term could pump off of that half between the fact that people, you know, a lot of people will be cut out from even selling on these regulated exchanges, but also mm -hmm. because a lot of the people in the sailor school might think that um, that regulatory clarity means, you know, Bitcoin's more, more likely to stay around and they pile in more. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I agree with you that the result is going to basically be a bifurcation of the market where you have uh, a proper free market. Some people might call it um, a black market, but I think a free market. And then you have mm -hmm. a controlled regulated market. But ultimately, I think long term, uh, that regulation becomes so burdensome and so much friction is there. Uh mm -hmm. And so many people will get burned. You know, you lose a lot of the properties of Bitcoin. You lose the censorship resistance. You even lose the seizure resistance because, you know, you end up holding it with a custodial party. I could see mm -hmm. uh, withdrawals not being allowed or only being able to withdraw to whitelisted addresses and stuff. So you lose that seizure resistance, even if technically you control the private key. Um, if all your holdings are completely known and they're completely tied to your to your to your identity and your personal identifiable information, that, you know, then they put a gun to your head. They threaten you with jail time. They threaten you with heavy fines, and then they make you they make you comply. They get a couple mm -hmm. people to comply. Most people get scared into it and just comply. But I think mm -hmm. ultimately, long term, um, there'll be so much friction there that that the the free market Bitcoin will win. Like there, mm -hmm. it'll just be such a better experience. You'll have all the all the the features and the benefits that Bitcoin provides people in terms of censorship resistance. Caesar resistance, inflation resistance, like you get all those benefits in the proper free market Bitcoin. You get a a shitty repackaged version of them in, you know, the regulated compliant cuckbuck Bitcoin. Um, so I think long term, the future is bright. The question is how many Bitcoiners get burned in that dark period in between, because that dark period can get it could get really fucking bad. And that's what that's what worries me. And, and a perfect example is is this Canadian shit that's going on right now, is mm -hmm. that uh, you know Trudeau's government has educated people on the risks of KYC more than any education any of us can do. And why is that? Is because when people's livelihoods are threatened, it is the ultimate motivation. But the problem is, is that when that point happens, a lot of times it's already too late. Like we talked about earlier. Like those people are already burned now. We, we talked about earlier, you know, it takes time to get comfortable with using sovereign Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. It takes time to get comfortable with multi-sig. It takes time to learn how to use privacy best practices, especially with something like CoinJoin, where you have timing analysis and stuff. You need to move slow. You're forced to move slow. 
Um, so, so the question becomes how many people get burned in that immediate process. And I think that's why as an industry, as a community, we should be trying to build these tools, make them better, improve the education, improve the discourse. So less people get burned. So that dark period isn't as bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking today about like these, like imagine you're a trucker with a family and now they block your bank account and all this stuff. And um, I was just thinking like, man, like these kind of truckers, like, I wish they had like a, they had a moon wallet on their phone and like a little stack there just for exactly. this period when, when they get locked out of the bank account. And I really, I mean, it gives you a bad feeling in the stomach just thinking about this. Like, like there's so many people who get affected by this and they haven't even understood or heard about Bitcoin and haven't figured out the whole shitcoin stuff. So I think like what we need to do is like push forward on the Bitcoin ed education and push as hard as we can forward on the fa fast adoption of, of self-custody of your keys, your coins, and do the best job we can by providing no KYC tools. Uh, but the, the priority for, for, for me personally, coming also from my hardware wallet security side is like, I want to see fast adoption, your keys, your coins, whether biggest amount of people possible and if i look around um we have so many people coming into the space over the last two or three years and uh, like like friends of yours and they're still hanging out on fucking coinbase like what the, what the heck's right. going on like this is it's 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 amazing and I, I have the same experiences i roll my eyes sometimes and think like guys you you you're listening to all the Uh, plan B podcasts and and all the crazy numbers and they're all <laughs> looking uh, looking still at the fiat gains and like it's it's ridiculous it's yeah they like the engagement measure, tweet that Bitcoin with dollars or fiat it's they it's like the engagement tweet though. that Bitcoin can't be seized and then meanwhile they're Bitcoin sitting in Coinbase and it can just be seized yes. at will yes yes and this is this is the first people who will get sort of shot. If you're sitting with your coins on a Coinbase or on any exchange, like get this stuff off there. Like if you already 100%. see it happening in Canada, Canada, if they pull this off really now, it's going to be such a massive shit show for so many people. Like there's going to be, not, it's going to be the biggest Bitcoin advertisement ever. It's going to be the biggest Barbara Streisand effect on Bitcoin ever. It's going to be huge. It's And the biggest not, advertisement okay. since WikiLeaks. Yes. Yes, easily, uh, or like uh, the dark darknet market. What's it called? Silk Road. So yes, I mean, and you, just to, to 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 talk about numbers here, like these are old numbers. Um, I don't think there are more like four or five million people using actually hardware wallets, and I don't think there are like more than probably twenty thousand people or whatever um, using a, a, a Wasabi. A, a, Moon Wallet or Sparrow or Spectre, like probably maybe maybe 40 or whatever. So the, the, the people holding their real keys on a Bitcoin only is tiny. And uh, the, the, the largest by four or five million people um, having a ledger, a treasure, or a hardware wallet. And then if you look at the, the amount of users on these ex crypto shitcoin exchanges who are just uh, trading Shiba coin against Yo-Yo coin or whatever, it's it's... This is the this is the real problem we have. We have like a, a hundred million people we have to move over 
to your keys, your coins. Don't listen to the shitcoin noise. And uh, maybe these people are already lost. I don't know. But so sorry, my think, rant here. But this is the this is the big thing. Million, you think there's a hundred million people that own Bitcoin, whether self custody or custodial? That would be your I number. Think it's even higher. Okay, I think so the last what, number, what number, like the old number, the old number from the Cambridge Research Report on these CRISPR asset user is was like two years old is the number at least, is 130 million people have KYC accounts on, uh, on, on exchanges. And so I think wanna, the number yeah, now is, is probably 200 or 250 million. And we still uh, fuck around here with 5 million people with hardware wallets and US. So is that what you think? Ready. What do you think the number is? So like 200 to 250 million total. What do you think the number is? for like people that have 90% of their Bitcoin uh, self-custodied in private Bitcoin wallets? The number who have, have most of- You know, like on hardware wallets or stuff, yeah. At max 10 million. I would rather say f five. Like the, wow. the numbers I, I was, my analysis with, with uh, two years ago when I was running some numbers for our business model and doing some research that was like, and talking to Ledger, talking to Trezor, um, we had a number, I think, 2 million, 3 million hardware wallet users. And through the last two years with the education, a lot of people provide and stuff. Uh, and the sales numbers, I would say at max 5 million people, uh, 5 million people who have hardware wallets. At, we know and, there's and at least 1 million doxed Ledger users. Yes. <laughs> and imagine this fucking problem like you can go on the darknet download this list and i know people who have done it and then you can go to your city and you're in berlin or whatever and then you say oh there's friedrichstraße whatever a hundred and there's toby muller lives there and he has a ledger like i wonder why the guy has a ledger you buy a ledger hardware wallet or something like this if you have to protect a significant amount of bitcoin or crypto so we see like people buy this stuff from like they start buying a hardware wallet like over when they have over five or ten thousand in, in crypto. And Ledger doesn't even let you buy with Bitcoin, is my understanding. You have to buy with credit card, which is yes. frankly unacceptable. Um, you should, I mean, they're supposed to be a Bitcoin company. Uh, you shouldn't have to dox yourself to your surveillance corporate card. Um, just that's to buy you build a, a seed signer, and that's why you build a Spectre DIY. You just order this developer board, and you have a little scanner, and you put in the, the so, cables and the plugs, and that's 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 a cool shit about it. <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about the Spectre DIY because I've talked about the seed signer many times on this show. I literally the last episode was seed signer. Um, I love the project. Uh, you guys are a little bit interesting here in that you have this software open source software project and you have this open source Bitcoin, uh, open source hardware project inspector, do it mm -hmm. yourself. Um, what's the current state of that project? Um, why should people be interested in, it? I think you said you have like a big revamp coming on it earlier in the show. Yeah. So the long story short is like our CTO is Stepan is a, is a total monster and we have like a nice team supporting it. And yeah, he's, are, a beast. he's a, he's amazing. The guy's like is massive. And um, so we started actually out building this hardware wallet. And this is actually how Spectre desktop was, was coming because we were looking for a, a, a companion app for our hardware wallet. And first we started just with a developer board and a scanner 
to do QR code based and SD card based stuff. And it's a nice iPhone 4 screen on a developer board. And then we added a, a smart card reader and, and, a, and a connector board to this. So, and all packaged all this in something what we call Spectre Shield, which is much more for enterprise use. And um, we really did our homework over the last years, not only building in liquid into that, but also um, working on a design that we um, we can we can ship out as a finished device. Looks a little bit like an old iPhone four, um, and has a has a nice metal casing and uh, is, is is in the works. Um, we are mostly focused here on on high net worth and enterprise usage. And um, not sure about our ret retail strategy there. Maybe in the future. And um, so th this is where we stand. We are currently testing production models and uh, hope that uh, we can uh, move to full production maybe later this year. And uh, yes, it's, it's it's very exciting to see this developing. And we didn't take any shortcuts on the on the firmware there or anything. We have we have done a solid job developing this thing for three years. And the good thing is, with the new device, you can you can still use your Spectre DIY, your old one, and you can use the new Spectre, uh, which is coming there. And it's the same firmware, so you have uh, a full uh, MIT license, and it's uh, uh, fully free and open source software. So um, we're very excited about this this coming up there. So users can you can build it yourself at a it's mm -hmm. so it's a higher price point than the seed sign, or you can build it yourself with uh, with off the shelf hardware. But it's mm -hmm. a bigger screen, higher price point than seed signer, or you can buy the pre built device. Yes, correct. Yes, yeah. exactly. So like the seat signer, um, Keith, correct me if I'm wrong, is about 40 bucks, 40, 50 bucks when you build it. Like 60 now. Inflation. If you order in bulk, I got it down to $32. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, probably you have a, like a, a seat signer uh, bathtub full of it already. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't, don't get into my personal life. His children haven't taken a bath in two weeks because it's filled with seat signers. Exactly. Yeah. So the seat signer is great. And um, we were really happy when, when seat signer came in and did the first stuff. And then a lot of other guys jumped on it. And, and they use the Embed library, which is also the library that Stepan built. Um, uh, he wrote and built the Spectre DIY on it. And seat signer first just did just a casing for us. For Flexman, and then but then developed a seat signer out of it, and we are coming in at a higher price point. I think the developer board is sixty euros uh, or sixty dollars, and then the scanner is like thirty, and then another ten for the casing and the cables. So you, you're talking about like a hundred bucks there, and it's a really really nice uh, design and and a really great screen and great user experience. So it's my primary wallet, and I think it. For me, of course, it's the best wallet in the market, but you can ask the likes of, I don't know, maybe Michael Flexman, what he thinks about this uh, this device. And uh, we get some good feedback there. So, um, but moving forward, like we, we, we're really proud on, on, on what, we, what we did there. And um, yeah, so we got some nice Bitcoin only stuff coming up. And um, yeah, awesome. it's great how to, just to see how the whole ecosystem is growing. And um, without the insane, uh, without you, you don't need the insane funding that these shitcoins and shitcoin exchanges have. You can. They have a lot of funding. 
and have a crazy amount of funding. And it's, it's <laughs> like, this is something that's really puzzling to me. Like all these crazy shitcoin projects, they have, they, they, like, if you listen to the Solana stories and what's like how huge these Ethereum and Solana conferences are and what kind of money they throw around and Bitcoin is still number one. It's uh, it's building great tools. It's, it has the best and the most passionate people in the space, and it's, it has a clear mission. It's very clear what what it wants. Uh, like the Bitcoin community really knows very clearly what we're working on, and uh, it's just amazing that nobody is even close to competing with Bitcoin. It's amazing, and I, and I love it. Yeah, I mean the shit corners are out there, you know, buying buying sports arenas, so. Crypto.com. No one used crypto.com. They paid a hundred million dollars for their F1 sponsorship for a single year. Oh, I mean, you know, it's, it's absolutely insane. The difference in funding. Um, so we're almost at the two hour mark. Uh, but before we do wrap up, uh, what about, what is your thoughts on lightning integration inspector? What is the, is there a roadmap there? Is, is lightning never going to be integrated? It will be integrated in two weeks. What is, what is your thought process? <laughs> we are not actively working on Lightning. So we think the Lightning space is well alive and kicking and, and is doing great. We are coming more in from the, from the on-chain custody side and have chosen to, uh, to work on, on Liquid. And um, we, would, we are interested in Lightning. We are very passionate about Lightning. Um, Stepan can talk to you about it until your ears bleed. And especially he loves to talk about um, Bitcoin, uh, Lightning security and uh, Lightning hardware, secure ha Lightning hardware backends. Because as we see the, the volume and the, uh, and the network grow in, in, in Lightning, um, there are more and more security questions coming up, uh, especially like where do you put the private keys when you are managing larger amounts of, of Bitcoin on Lightning? And usually they, you know better than I, they sit on the, on the node and um, this, is, this is on the servers, on hardened servers. And this is something which is not, not very pleasant to think about. So I think in the future, in the near future, we will need um, secure backends for Lightning and, uh, and specifically built for Lightning also, so that you really can, can protect these, uh, these keys in a, in, a, in a good way. Hundred percent. I mean, so that's interesting. No plans, really. Um, we don't. We we have some HSM plans where we think about uh, the, the the HSM, which can support Bitcoin, Liquid, and also Lightning. And uh, we would love to build this, but as we just discussed, um, uh, funding is the question. Right. And uh, and that's that's where and we priorities. Want to... Right. And priorities. You cannot do everything at the same time. You have to prioritize what you want to do. But um, I think we really did our homework on the Spectre uh, hardware wallet, which is coming up. And uh, we would like to put more resources on the Spectre desktop. I but, look forward um, to uh, playing yeah. with the new hardware wallet. I do have uh, the original Spectre DIY. It's a sexy piece of hardware. It's a, It was definitely uh, definitely feels like it was way ahead of its time. Um, I do 100% appreciate all the work you and your team do. Um, I mean, you mentioned we've mentioned already, like the fact that these 24/7 node boxes have you know your hot lightning keys on it. Uh, but mm -hmm. if you want a really unsettling thought, 
there are a lot of lightning nodes that are being run on Canadian uh, VPSs right now. What? And depending on how the Canadian government wants to proceed here and how hard they go, um, that should be a very interesting, painful case study um, mm. in, in what is custodial risk and what isn't. Because technically it's not custodial, um, but if you're running your node on someone else's servers um, located in a country that's hostile to Bitcoin, um, it could get pretty messy pretty quickly. So it should be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, definitely. The big one I'm uh, thinking quick. of is, is Luna Node because Luna Node is like the very low cost, uh, easy option of running BTC Pay Server and they're a Canadian company. But Keith, go. Uh, I'm, I'm running my BTC Pay on, uh, on Luna Node, but, <laughs> but you better move I that, control bro. the key. No, I control the key. What can they do? They can seize my note, my, my BTC Pay, and they can't get any of my funds. Uh, I, I, hopefully. Just, just, just gonna, I control the key. What are they gonna do? They can they can subpoena me and throw me in jail, but they can't they can't seize it from me. Um, but no, quick note on what key you control. It, it's just it's running off of a, a watch only XPub. No, but that's the on chain portion, not the lightning portion. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I can't deal with lightning. <laughs> I, I can't. Oh, okay, but I, but I, I don't have the brain space. I yeah, meant specifically yeah, yeah. lightning, lightning hot right. wallets on right, right. on Luna. Um, but no, for for lightning integration, you know, I think it's just it's such a big space. There's so much to learn that it would, you know, it would just be a huge time suck. But uh, as as Moritz had mentioned earlier, the eighty like it was basically eighty percent of the Swan integration was to build a flexible extensions layer into Spectre. And Swan just happened to be the first, you know, you can think of it as a plugin into Spectre. So I'd be really interested to hear ideas of like what what would make sense as an extension that would connect like LND to Spectre. You know, like yeah. I, I don't I don't run a Lightning server, so I'm I'm you know it's been like two years since I've played with it, so I'm pretty ignorant. But you know those like on-chain touch points that LND might have. Maybe it makes sense to tie that to a wallet inspector, and we can have a simple extension that facilitates that communication back and forth. Uh, that is, you know, depending on what needs to be done, but something like that should be fairly straightforward, where you're just saying, "Hey, wallet, give me a new on-chain address," or, "Hey, you know, let me check my, you know, I don't know, my my, uh, what do they call it? My submarine swap out, uh, loop out, um, on-chain." Um, that should be straightforward. I dig it. Um, I, yeah, I look forward to seeing what extensions get added uh, to Spectre going forward. Um, yeah, and, and actually, I did, I did tweet out my my trivial uh, slush pool history importer as the the second extension oh, for uh, slush would be great. Yeah, so it's I call it trivial because like I think it's awesome. I think I I I love the idea of seeing little slush pool icons in in my Spectre you know transaction history. Um, but it's trivial because slush pool just doesn't allow you to do right. really deep integrations. So literally all you can do is download, download your existing payout history. And then 
what this Spectre extension does, it just looks at your wallet and it looks at that that CSV file and says, hey, I recognize that address. And it just marks it as a as a slush pool deposit. So it, it doesn't do much, but it was kind of a proof of concept. And, you know, it'll be neat to see those little icons show up. Are you guys talking to anyone at Slush? I mean, it'd be awesome. Right now, Slush has automatic withdrawals, but it's a fixed address. It'd be awesome if if we had like the swan type of integration, but with slush where it went to a new address every time. Yeah. I mean, their, their API, the, the, there's a gaping hole around anything related to payout addresses or history or anything. And I assume that's, you know, intentional that they just don't want to go there. But if anyone has connections into slush, I would, I would love to have that API endpoint. I think that would be amazing. Okay, I'm gonna start that conversation after, after we get off, because um, I think that would be absolutely fantastic, uh, particularly to home miners who tend to use slush. Um, it is my my favorite mining pool. Um, okay, guys, I mean it's been two hours and seven minutes. I think this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I like to wrap it up with final thoughts. Um, Keith, final thoughts. Uh, none. Thanks for having us. Great conversation. <laughs> I love you, Keith. Well, Thanks for coming on. Maurice, final thoughts. Final thought is stay paranoid. Uh, do your self-custody, run your node, and uh, don't comply with any of this BS people throw at you. And uh, that's, my, uh, that's my spirit at the moment, I will guess. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Maurice. Um, First of all, I want to say a huge thank you to our guests. I appreciate both of you and your work. Uh, it is truly appreciated. Um, if you want to support Spectre Development uh, and you're a programmer, go to their GitHub, start reviewing things, contribute. I know they appreciate it. If you're not a programmer, uh, go to donate.spectre.solutions uh, and send them some sats. Um, they really do. It really does go a long way. I know Keith... Keith, you have a donation page too, don't you? What is your donation page specifically? Yeah, I'm just btcpay.keithmukai.com. Boom. Um, go to btcpay.keithmukai.com. Send them some sats. It really does go a long way. Um, I try and model dispatch off of these open source projects. As, as always, we don't have ads or sponsors. Um, so if you do appreciate the content here, please consider sending me some sats as well. Um, uh, what else? I want to thank all the freaks for joining us. I hope you found this conversation productive. Special big thanks uh, to the freaks who joined us in the live chat and contributed to the discussion. Once again, you can find the link to that at citadeldispatch.com and then clicking that Citadel chat link. Uh, Maritz, I forgot to remind you, but we end every dispatch with a music video. Um, so you can either listen with us or you can leave while it's going. Love you, freaks. I'll hang in. I'll hang in. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
Appreciate you freaks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. 
Uh, Rabbit Hole Recap this week will be on Friday because Marty's traveling. I'll see you on Tuesday for another Dispatch. Um, I have to figure out what that conversation is going to be. I haven't figured out yet. Um, what else? Uh, if you're an open source developer, if you contribute to open source projects in the Bitcoin space, um, I helped facilitate an open source ticket program uh, for developers, for contributors of those projects. You don't even have to be a developer. You could be someone who, as long as you did a commit before October 1st for those projects, you get a free ticket um, to Bitcoin 2022 in Miami. Uh, if you go to b.tc slash conference slash open dash source, not the best uh, domain, but if you just type in b.tc space open source into DuckDuckGo, it comes up, you just press apply, literally just I'm manually approving those people. Um, so if you weren't aware of that, consider doing that. And if you aren't contributing to an open source project, consider starting. Um, but regardless, there is a discount code open source, which gets you 21% off. Uh, do not share that on Twitter. Otherwise they will disable it because it is the highest discount you can get. I love you all. Stay humble, stack sats. Cheers.